This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. There are no major spoilers outside of the Iron Flower, but there is a brief mention of the Wicked King. Additionally, there are discussions surrounding politics, physical violence, sexual assault, sex work, domestic abuse, racism, and trauma. Everybody and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing The Iron Flower, book two in the Black Witch Chronicles by Laurie Forrest, and one of, I guess, maybe two books that I've had to put down and walk away from. <sighs> Honestly, I wasn't expecting for it to hit as hard because, I mean, I put down books a lot of times. It's no secret. I cry. Um, But this was just at a different level. And I don't know if it's because a combination of knowing like real world history and how applicable it is to this series or just the political climate that we're in. And, you know, in in. It's just like you said, you have to put it down. It's really heavy shit. And it hurts. It hurts that even when we do put it down, I think I was texting you. I go, if you apply it to races, just like you have like the different races of Selkie and and Faye and witches, et cetera, in the series, not everybody has that privilege to walk away and take a breath from a situation because they're living it every day. And I think knowing that and reading this series, especially like the second book, it just keeps hitting harder and harder. And you're taking a breath and you're like, what is happening? You need to walk away, but you, you, you don't, you know, I know it's just fantasy, but it just hit real life really, really hard. And this is exciting because Jess, you and I have not really talked about this series. Both of us have like a lot going on, like personally. So we haven't just been, uh, fangirling all week over the series, but I am so excited to hear what you have to say about this. So please just, just like dive into it. Take a, take us away. I want to hear all, all of the things and all of the thoughts. Well, right, right in the intro of the book, the, the second book, like the first chapter after all the, the edicts and the, the all, all the decrees that are being made, Ellerin, you know, because it picks up right where the first book like left off and she's just sobbing and crying. She's like, I don't want to be Gardenarian anymore. She's crying to Frenelia. She's like, and Frenelia is the first person who says like, look, we don't get to choose what we are, but we get to choose who we are. And I think that really just sets up how she continues how she chooses to live her life knowing you know i know we discussed it in the last episode or sometimes you're you're obviously born into a family and that family not might not be the kindest but you can you can learn you know through exposure of other people or learning how you don't want to be that's what ellerin is making in her choices of like protecting her friends her friends have become family I mean, obviously she has her brothers, but the people she's blood related to, she doesn't in, in the people that the community she's brought up with, she goes, this isn't the type of person that I want to be. And it kind of just something is happening every chapter in this book. It doesn't feel like there's a lull. Everything builds on each other. And that is kind of one of the things I really like about the, this book in particular, but I guess maybe the series overall, but you really feel like, as you said, you feel it in this book. Um Everything happens. So much happens. I made a, I made a list of, of just kind of uh, bullet points, but, um, Ellerin and Yvonne have a, a talk that is very similar to this. We're like, you know, these impossible odds, but, you know, we thought that rescuing Naga was impossible, freeing the Selkies, you know, getting Ariel off the Nylanterberries, you know, all, all of these things that they did. When you think about it, like they're just college kids, right? They're just college kids and like they have destiny and like a higher calling. Okay, whatever. But they're actively working against this really 
it's a scary government system and they're doing all that they can. And, and with the edicts, and I, I like that the edicts are, are there kind of every chapter or so and they're numbered and they keep growing and they get more and more specific. So it's kind of like you feel everything tightening around you. Um, yeah, oh, the whole time. And you just, as, and you're also, again, it's not just about Ellerin. You learn about all of these characters and you're growing attached to the characters and you're seeing, you know, you meet their families, you're understanding what they're going through, their, your, your loss is their, like their loss is your loss. Their, you know, their fear is your fear, especially because again, like I think you feel it. So not just in a fantasy realm, it's just the political climate that we're in and we never really left. Um, it's just really at the, the, the forefront of discussion now, more or less. And you, you feel it and you're just, you're holding out hope. You're, you're struggling with these characters and you're wondering what you can do to help them. Like, and I just, it's, it's kind of, it's a lot, you know, but to see action being done and not being complacent. And there were many times throughout the book that, you know, the characters were talking and they had to think bigger picture. Right. Um, and that was, you know, even from uh, all the friends of, and various races going to different parts of Earthia and Ellerin knowing, like, I have to stay back. We have to make. I, and then on top of that, it's I have to poison myself so I don't look like I'm complicit in everything. Uh, or when uh, I was going to say Danica, Diana's family, like Rafe has to talk her off like after she got she threw herself off the cliff. She had to, he talked her back from, he was like, what would your dad do? Like, you have to think, you have to think long-term, you have to think big picture. We have to think. And she had to like, once she, everybody had to stop and be pragmatic about all the situations as hard as it was, because you emotionally are also like, do this, do this. Just like with the, the guy in the cottage who kidnapped the Selkie. And then finally, like once they were escaping, you hear that the, the cottage guy was decapitated and you're like, oh, that's Diana. Like, that's my girl. I'm so happy. I, I mean, there's no chronological order with this discussion, like with most of the things we go. So it's just, it's all over the place and there's, there's action, there's stuff is happening. Um, and through the whole time, it's, it's still not over. Like we finished the second book and it still feels like, oh my gosh, it's just getting started again. Cause that's how it, the first book ended where it was like, welcome, welcome to the, I was going to say revolution, the resistance, welcome to the resistance. And now it ends again on that. And here's another one. And here's another one. I, 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 this is, you know what? I know this isn't talked about this book series isn't talked about often. And I think Laura, you brought up that it's being used in high school now, right? I did. So because there is absolutely no one talking about this series beyond the press, that was the first book. And we discussed that in our previous episode. Um, I went to Lori Forrest's Instagram. I went to her website. I went to, you know, Black Witch, Iron Flower hashtags on TikTok and Instagram trying to get anything right. I just want anything. But Lori Forrest on January 16th, 2019 says, I was told today that a high school is using the Black Witch in class as an example of entertaining creative writing that promotes tolerance and diversity. So, and then included on this is a booklist star review, and I just have a little bit of it. And it says, developing real empathy for different races and species, Forrest uses a richly imagined magical world to offer an uncompromising condemnation of prejudice and injustice. I mean, the fact that it's being brought into curriculum, I, I absolutely love. And even though it is YA, and we said in the first book, there's no spice. Don't expect spice, but expect that uprising of wanting change and wanting better for, for you know, for the bigger picture and for a better world, as Aelin would say. Um, I think it's just necessary read, not just for high school. Like, I think you should, this is something that can totally be dissected into uh, any college level course. I mean, specifically, if you're like an intro, in, you know, intro literature class, absolutely. There's so much to pull from. And maybe, maybe I'm going to get some, some shit, but this, the last two books, and even the Iron Flower as an individual book, 
is better than Shadow and Bone trilogy. I I can't stop reading this series, and I struggled, and we both did. We, I mean, we read it. You have the Netflix show coming out, but this is just it's so like this could be the next magicians you know how they like aged everybody up from the magicians like this would be a perfect perfect series for that i think well you can see it on camera just the one instance where we did talk about this during the week i told you that something like a scene was coming up and i could see it in my head i could see the colors i could see the shot you just needed the right music and like on a on the screen it would just be stunning Jess, I know this scene is what made you put the book down. So yeah. do you want to talk about it? Um, goodness. I mean, it started with Ellerin waking up. They were the bird, the watchers, which I also think of what's that shirt company that you get for Sam with the conspiracy theories with the, the birds are the watchers but, but, but during um, the rape. Birds aren't real. <laughs> Birds aren't real. I always think of that when they talk about the watcher. <laughs> My favorite conspiracy theory. When people start telling you about conspiracy theories, you look them in the eye, you go, you know, birds aren't real. And they shut right up. They go, what? <laughs> Just but a little tip. But then I also think of them as robotic birds, kind of yeah. like a combination of the Hunger Games and the really creepy birds in The Wizard of Oz. Where they're just yeah. like, um, but you know, you you find you hear screamings. People are coming, like two people are coming out of the woods. You find out that all the lupine were massacred. They run to tell Diana and Jared about their family. She's wailing in the cafeteria or you know the dining hall. It, everybody is. It's it's so chaotic and so much so much is happening. People are dying because. Because they're they're wolves. Because they're wolves. There's no rhyme or reason to it. The Gardenarians just, they feel like they're the superior race. And they want their land, right? Like, it, it, and it always comes. Yeah, you, you, well, you can, you continue <laughs> to, to elaborate more because this is your second read. And I'm just, you know, still, it was a lot. The thing that is just so fucking heartbreaking about this whole, this whole kind of scene that we're talking about is right before it, they have this really beautiful scene in the forest. I say they, like, you know, the found family, Ellerin and all, have this, you know, they're in the forest and they're celebrating and everybody's happy. And she has this moment with Yvonne and, you know, she she goes to bed and then she wakes Ellerin and then she wakes up and she knows that something's wrong. And I think Winter is there too in, in the tower and they look out. And, and And my favorite detail about this is that there are white watchers, the birds, everywhere right they're everywhere and they're looking away too I and think they have their uh, wings over their eyes and the line is uh something like um you know like they're covering their eyes they can't bear to witness um what's happening uh which is important because the the birds are like a representation of like god right like they're god um which is very interesting symbolism but and then so Ellerin knows that something's wrong with the bird you know she sees the birds she runs out of the tower then like Jesse said she sees the two survivors of the the lupine pack and just damn damn it, it's a it's a it's a massacre so like we were talking about how it's easy for authors to in YA to kind of use language to gloss over uh genocide right we saw that in um six of crows with matthias and the fierdens this is not glossed over no they say very clearly they murdered everybody they killed the babies they yeah. say that a lot actually the emphasis on um murdering and the children yeah on murdering children they say it over and over again as kind of a like a litmus test like this is really fucking awful right yeah. they're murdering babies and the gardenarians are like yeah because they all need to die and everyone else is like the fuck yeah well, even when Aisley comes into the picture a little bit later, because, you know, she, she's been off, um, off screen in a way. Um, 
she calls her father a murderer. She's been so complacent to ruling, to, to just being the obedient daughter for so long. And she finally calls him out on and he goes, what is this? And she's like, you're a terrible person. I'll never forgive you. Stop doing this. I fucking hate you. You're a murderer. And even when they're talking about the violence that it's like you said, it's not glossed over. They're asking how the one, uh, uh, Andre's son survived and they go, they didn't see him. He was under the dead bodies. Like you're just, yeah, it's, it's very clear. The picture is painted. It's, it's fucking devastating. Oh my God. Um, and, and, you know, speaking back to that, she's the one who stole the spell book that allowed, uh, Naga to be freed, you know, in the first place, all of that. All of the characters interacting, like even Rafe wants to be mated to to Diana and it's supposed to be done in front of the whole pack. And now he's like, she doesn't have her family. She doesn't have her pack. Her pack is her brother now, Her, you know, and it, uh, I just everybody, everybody is so affected because they're so intertwined and Gardenarian pieces of shit, you know, like I just... Oh, well, let, let's preface this. So, like we said, there were before the, the massacre of the Lupine Packs, both Lupine Packs, the Northern and Southern Lupine Packs. Right. Let's make sure Diana and, um, Jared are like the only ones left as far as we know. Yeah. Um, for, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. So, like, um, before all of this happens, though, um, people are arguing over like Diana and Jared. And they are working to get refugees through their land, right? They're, they're trying to get amnesty for everybody so that right. they don't have to become lupine to, um, seek shelter right. with the lupine pack, right? And to, to kind of like fuck you to the Gardnerians. And Diana works really hard for that. Yeah. I was going to say Diana is the one who pulled that all together and, and she was like being super modest about it. And Ellerin, you know, in the inner, dialogue she's like i know how hard diana like she's like you don't have to be lupine we're just you could come to our land like you can be safe here right and then uh, the gardnerians get a hold of that and then they murder everybody so so they're cutting off well i mean first of all they exterminated an entire race let's just say that and then cutting off any kind of safety anywhere because you have to because at this point, the only safe places are with the Amaz, mm-hmm. right? And then in the Eastern realm? For now. Yeah, that, that's at it. At this point in the book, the Eastern realm is still considered safe. Yeah, that, that's it. That, that, so everybody is trying to get there. And they just had, you know, murdering the Lupine Packs uh, is a big fucking problem. And, and it's just, it's just horrible. And, and, and Diana and Jared and, both of them having very different uh, reactions to it. Yeah, their trauma responses were completely different. I, I, I think that's great. I think it's a, well, obviously, like nobody talks about these books. I mean, we're talking about it, but uh, I think that needs to be talked about. Like she, Diana and Jared, uh, Jared shuts down. He yeah. goes completely into shock. And, and Diana goes on the offensive until she finally, um, you know, until Rafe talks her down, as you said, like, mm-hmm. And then they're gone. Then they leave. I I know we'll see them again in the next book. I I, I love like I love Diana. I mean, she is a leader. She is the alpha. They knew she was going to be the alpha. I I love all the characters individually f- in their own way. There is such growth. Maybe not from Bloodin and Iris, who are still in the kitchen. Like, what do you mean you're saving us? Um, I, they're just like to me they're shitty but at the same time you understand like they're groomed that what well, everybody in, in their circumstances have been groomed to a certain point uh to have the beliefs that they believe um until they choose that that's not the path that they want anymore they don't want to have thoughts and prejudices like that um i don't know It was just, it was just a very, I was not expecting this book to be heavy, you know, I, you know, but in a good way, in a good way, because it's forcing conversation that might not be like, that might not be had otherwise. So this book is very heavy. 
another instance, Jess, where I know you had to, I don't know if you had to put it aside, but I know that you uh, reached out and said like, whoa, was when the cropping started. When they started, oh. when the when Marcus Vogel uh, started his slow... Marcus Vogel is now like the dictator, essentially, of Earthia. Yeah, yeah. The, the holy magedom, right? The holy magedom. Fucking asshole. Um, but the cropping, right? So Marcus Vogel becomes in power. The, the, the Gardnerians start to celebrate and rise up, kind of, <sighs> right? And, and in a mob, in a violent mob mentality, they go out onto the, the, the campus and the city that the campus is in and they start cutting the ears off of any, anybody that doesn't have a rounded ear and, and she, and cutting off all of their hair. Like sharing them. Yeah, it, it's basically it's, it's horrific. It is absolutely horrific. And yet I can see it clearly in my head, right? Like it, it's not that hard to picture a violent mob holding somebody down, right? It's fucking disgusting. Yeah, not even not that again, not that this is okay, but not even in a, a quote like a humane way. They're just shearing people left and right, cutting the points off their ears. People are just covered in blood. Because because of the cropping, they're sobbing. Like I just, it's it's terrifying. It's terrifying. You can you can see it. You see people just rioting, right? Like they're happy that so many others are in pain. Like that they have they feel entitled to treat people as as insignificant. That they're not people. They're things and they say that throughout the series especially you know from the first chapter the second chapter i'm sorry of the black witch where ellerin sees a selkie and they just like make a connection and ellerin's aunt makes a comment of like people keep them as pets not as people even though it's just a different race you know well well, let's talk about the selkies let's let's talk about them something fantastic that i love about the selkies is that the whole fucking time that Selkies have existed, nobody knew that they could talk. Nobody had any idea that they were like anything other than animals. It is absolutely insane to me. Like what? And they treated them as animals and they uh, were, oh, they treated them so bad. Let's be clear. The Gardnerians use the Selkies as horse, right? They, they use them. They, they're, they're brothels. They use them as brothels. Oh my God. Let's talk about, Damien, Damien Bain, Fallon's brother, Fallon's brother, when uh, Rafe goes to the brothel and um, they're, they're, um, you know, obviously they're trying to save the Selkies, right? Right. Okay, let's, let's. So, okay. So some of the, the males of the Fallon family group um i was gonna say cadre because no, they, they need a name no, they, but they do like the og like the og friends yeah. you so, know oh, i guess wait, it's like yvonne tristan rafe rafe diana jared well we're just talking about the men oh oh uh, we're talking okay yeah. who gareth Jar- gareth Gar- yeah jared gareth um do the elf brothers the does winter's brother and his and his kale and reese no no because they weren't there they're they weren't like at university or something so i guess it's just those guys they all they all go to different brothels to try to figure out where the selkie's skins are because yeah they're doing basically espionage yeah because the only way only way that the amaz will save the selkies is if they can prove that they know where their skins are because the skin is what holds the power Right. Like the full power of the Selkie. The right. Selkie is, um, they're basically very weak without that that layer. Right. And when you destroy the skin, they um, the Selkie becomes like a living dead, like zombie. Yeah. Um, not like a violent zombie, just like a like a shell. There's yeah. like nothing there, and it's it would be a mercy to kill them. And and Rafe sees Damian Bane go into like a room with two selkies that had their skins destroyed. So their, their eyes are like opaque and they, they don't like speak or, Oh my God, it's so fucking gross. 
And then Yvonne, like both Yvonne and Rafe, they go, it was so like uh, Rafe was saying it was like I was getting high fives. Like they were so happy that I was there. And Yvonne was like me into a club. Yeah. Welcoming me into a club. And Yvonne is saying like there are people in there that maybe I could be interchanging the the names wrong, but it's the good guys, basically. And um, they're like, it was there were people that are in the resistance that I thought were like me and here they are and a selkie brothel um it, you could just see that they were like these these aren't good men you know they might be for the resistance but that you know it's just like somebody can go to church that doesn't make you a good christian you know oh god the selkies um oh and then we should mention that gareth is part selkie oh it's so heartbreaking mm-hmm. right like he can never so Gareth being half selkie, he he can't like he didn't breathe. know he was self help right. half selkie. Like he discovered it through Marina. He was just like, I, I enjoy the water. I knew I was something. I could hold my breath for a long time. Like the ocean calls to me, kind of like very Moana esque. Um, and then Marina says, like, that's because you're you're one of us. And then they just like immediately had a had a connection because he's like, Oh my gosh, somebody who understands me and I don't understand me yet. It was very and it's bittersweet because then you know you find out that, well. And you also find out that the Selkie, the reason they're on land is because of some curse that kind of pulls them to the land. And later you find out that there's this magic that should help break the curse. So the Selkie are basically never on land again. You know, I think it's there's a lot of a lot of things, moving parts going on in this book. It's sad, too. Right. Like Gareth says, like, I can never go home. I can never go with you. I can't breathe underwater. Like I am like banned from this one place that I just want to go and like be accepted because he's not accepted uh, in Gardnerian because he has like silver streaks through his hair. Um, Yeah, there's there's just so much going on. Um, Jess, did you expect the reveal of Yvonne as the Icarol of prophecy? Never, never. I did not see that happening. I really just was like, okay, he's not, he's not killed. He's, he's part fae. He's fire fae. Like yeah. yeah. I did not like, that was, it was, it was like, it was one of those things where, it was a, a plot twist within a plot twist that so you had no idea. And that like his tattoo was actually hidden wings. How cool. How fucking cool. I love me a fae male. And, dra- <laughs> you know, like dragon wings. They they, they yeah. make it very, very clear that, you know, the they're dragons. Like, All dragons are Icarals. And, and Ellerin's just like still wrapping her head around everything. She's like, What? Um, yeah, no, so great. And I like that they go like hand in hand and, you know, to, um, to the, uh, some, Sarah Dalfar, her, her old professor that the, oh, okay. yeah, at the very end, they're right. like, we need, we need to go tell people that like Ellerin is the black witch of prophecy and Yvonne is the like girl of prophecy. Yeah. We're the two points, you know, we, we got, we got to tell people. Um, yeah, no, that, that was really good. But like, tell the people they trust because right now the mage, the, the, you know, the mage gardenarian government crap right now they're thinking it's Sage's baby and Fallon and Fallon had, and there's that, there's like an, I don't want to say an, there's like different throughout the book. It's, it's broken into parts. And then depending on the part, sometimes there's a, a prologue for like part three or part four. And there's a prologue where it's Fallon and Damien talking. And it's like Fallon is even thinking she's the black witch. I can't wait till she gets her ass handed to her. Oh, I cannot wait. And I know like she's also kind of being how Nikasia is when it comes to Cardin and Jude. She's like, oh my God, did Cardin kiss you? And she gets like that with Lucas and... Oh, Ellerin gets the last laugh there. Oh, I can't... Yeah. But but she's like forced to be... That's a whole other thing. She's forced to be one fasted to Lucas. Like just for... Like uh, no consent. And like, I don't know. I think... Lucas is going to play out better than I think, or I had initially thought, because he does bring a point. He goes, 
when they're fasted, they're like, where are we taking you? And he's like, she can go wherever the fuck she wants. Like he, he goes, I don't want this. She doesn't want this. And he's like, you don't see it, but I am protecting you like in a weird way. But then, then I I don't know why I want to say Mal. Yvonne is binded to Ellerin. And okay. So I think we talked about in the first episode, Juan fasting is basically like marriage in the Gardenarians. And then to be binded in dragon is to be like commit is like the same concept, but there's also like something deeper that they, they have a connection. He could sense whenever she's hurt, all this stuff. And that's why he wouldn't kiss her. Like all a binding takes is a kiss. So like, that's why everything's like so slow burning throughout the series so far. And then he finally kisses her and she, you know, she's already said, like, I don't want to be one fasted to Lucas. I want to be fasted to you. And they know they can't because they're star-crossed lovers. And then he finally kisses her. And you find out that now he's binded to her. But because she's not part dragon, she's, like, married and having, like, this other thing. But nothing, like, everything that's happening is consensual in one way, but not in the other. So, so everybody, every. Uh, I love love. I do love love, but I also love that they're also being like, we have to take a step back. Even when they go to the professor to say like, Hey, Oh, I'm, I'm the witch. And he's the air girl. And the witch admits like, I, we didn't know what your intentions were. So we didn't know you, obviously we didn't want you to know you had that power. You know, you wanted to see where your intentions lie. And after like, they take a breath, to to where they are emotionally and they they are totally in love with each other they know that they need to be on opposite ends of the earth for themselves as well as like the greater good right now because you also don't want the gardenarians to know that they know what what's at, you know that right now it's like the resistance is in like a better position maybe not in the politically but long term because they have this unknown that the the mage don't know about and you I, that sounds like so, no, sorry i was really no. worried it, well it makes perfect sense to me <laughs> but we read the book um one, one of my favorite things about this book is just how realistic it is with how people um kind of treat ellerin so, and I say that by like, I was reading and I was like, ah, she's crying again. She's crying. <laughs> she's crying again. She's upset. She's crying again. But I was thinking about it. It's like, okay, look, if I were, what, 18 in college, failing all my classes, you know, trying to do this other thing with like my, my relatives breathing down my neck and being constantly bullied, you know, all of these like pressures on me, like, Yeah. The other day I dropped my keys and that was the end of it. You know, like I, I lost it. So I, I get it. I, I get that Ellerin has these moments of just overwhelming despair and helplessness because up until the very, like, I guess kind of end of this book, she doesn't believe or know that she has power. Right. I think, she thinks like it's I don't know if it's like a self-imposter thing or she just she feels like something's there but that's not her and everybody really has just used it as an amplifier and she calls Lucas at you she's like Lucas you only want to fast me because uh, you know I might not have my power but like you have access to it and he goes well I'm not gonna lie like this part of me was like go yeah Yeah, like I was uh, you know like that's pretty awesome my this this part of me was like strengthened for a week this other power of mine was strengthened for a month and that was just from a kiss like imagine if we like wand fasted some more you know you're like oh gosh Lucas (sighs) but you know, she feels she doesn't want to be used either. She's she doesn't she just knows there's something there, but doesn't know what, which is like the running joke at the end. Exactly. And that's because she was wand tested by her uncle and she burned down the fucking forest. And then the second time she was wand fasted, Cam Vin from the Vutrin sorceresses gave her a um, rune blocked wand so it wouldn't work 
It wouldn't. It never would have worked. It wouldn't have worked for anybody. But Camvin says that she knew that Ellerin was powerful when she dropped the wand because it would take an enormous amount of power to even feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from using a, a rune block wand like that, it was just like, damn. Uh, so while we're talking about um, the Vutran sorceresses, let's talk about the Amaz because <sighs> the Amaz are this wonderful. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just this. It's this wonderful kind of addition to the story that just makes it very like rich and complicated, and it weaves like storylines. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like so much happens. But let's like refresh that you know from the first episode. The Amaz is a group of women a group of people who are women and it's their, it's their own community, their own, uh, what did you say? Would you say race or is it just a group, a, a group? I don't want to say that because they're just, they're women. Yeah. I think it's just like just women. Cause they accept anybody, any women, any women. Yeah. No men. They accept any women and you don't, I guess the people that come to the Amaz go to them for like reasons right you know you want to be like a warrior you want to be strong you want to have uh, like you've been wronged in a way and this is this is your library under the mountain where you can feel safe and um, Hmm. and heal it reminded you know and there's a I don't remember. I didn't get the quote exactly, but there's a part that I thought was really poignant to bring up that, you know, when all the races are trying to flee and obviously everything, you know, as you think the Lupine land, it might be the area that winds up not being the area. And then there's a part where um, Ariel and Winter, like Ellerin brings them to the Amaz. And one of the Amaz women says, there's a reason that you brought them here. There's a reason they feel safe. And it was just kind of determining because Ellerin was trying to question why her and Yvonne couldn't be there to have a man there. And she makes a comment. She goes, well, why do you think that there's a reason that this is where people feel safe? And I thought that was just that like I took a breath because I mean I'm not a man hater I'm not I I unfortunately love men you know like uh, there's a TikTok where it's like I don't like men I like that's just that's unfortunately that's where my decision goes when it comes to you know sexuality and they're not great all the time but I digress the fact that that's where they feel safe. That's where they feel strong. That's where they feel like they can bring somebody. Um, I think it's really telling. And it really reminded me of the mascara, the mascara and Wonder Woman, where you have all these Amazonian women who are strong, who find a sense of purpose in self. Um, and they, like, I just, it really reminded me of that safe place. And it was never um, something to be concerned about because they were like, each other's protectors at the same time. The thing that I really like about the Amaz is that they don't fuck with Ellerin right away, right? They're like, look, we're putting you under heavy ass guard. You know, you can be here in the Amaz lands. You can do your business because they're, you know, at, at this point, they're trying to convince them to help the Selkies. It's like, I'm putting you under guard. You're going to be watched. We don't trust you. Uh, the men can't be here. And Ellerin gets like all her feather feathers ruffled. She's like, but, you know, you can't you can't live in a black and white world like not all men are bad. You know, right. that, that whole like argument and the Amaz are just like, OK, then get the fuck out because this is our land and you aren't going to come in here, miss, you know, freshman in college coming in trying to disrupt the system. They, they don't fuck with her, but they do end up uh, respecting her. And working with her and kind of doing, I, I guess, becoming allies. Like, I, I feel like through this book, Ellerin just kind of works really hard to do the best that she can in the situation that she's in and also try to make allies and, and I don't, I don't know, just do everything in her power to be different from everyone's expectations. I mean, she's fighting against the, the stigma that was cr- the perception 
of her that was created because of her likeness to her grandmother, Carnissa. She's definitely earned her respect. I think one of the nice things that the Amaz says to her, um, she, you know, once she brings Ariel after she drops off Ariel with Naga and then like Naga brings Ariel to like her final resting place um, is that uh, Ellerin is going to say bye to the Amaz and the Amaz is like, I'm going to see you in a couple weeks with some, like either a Selkie or this other person. Like uh, this isn't bye. Like I've learned at this point that the type of person you are, you're about the greater good. And, you know, and I think that's really, I think it's, it hasn't been addressed and I don't think Ellerin has comprehended it yet, but she is earning respect slowly and surely, but I don't think she's processed it because she spent her entire life being told, like not even her. Yeah. Her entire life with this one expectation of her as her grandmother and only for it to be thrown in her face when she's met with other people who aren't Gardenerian. Right. Right. Genetics, man. Fucking air. So while while we're with the Amaz, let's talk about Sage. Uh, Sage Gaffney and the color purple, which is kind of weird. But um, so when Ellerin is in with the Amaz, she sees the birds, right? And she hears somebody. She she feels like a pull. She hears someone like calling to her in her head. And she, she leaves and she um, she uses, I don't know, like she uses the wand to... Um, like touch the runes, the rune barriers, and they dissolve, right? And she walks right through and she finds herself randomly at Sage Gaffney's cottage who has, um, she's taken refuge with the Amaz and she's purple. And I love that because um, Sage says like, what's the most scandalous color to a Gardnerian? Like what, what could it possibly be? And it's purple. And I, I, purple is my favorite color. She's just like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, but I, I also find it funny that, Purple purple is a color that's very offensive to the Gardnerians, and yet there's a whole race of people that have, like, purple hair and purple mm-hmm. skin, and most of them are sent off, what, to the islands, right? It's like a prison camp. It's just like... But I forget, I forget Sage's color. It was like it manifested because it wasn't always purple. Because wasn't she Gardenerian? Because she was yeah. Ellerin's yeah. neighbor. Yeah, she's, she's Gardnerian, but... um. Yeah, it just like her her magic manifested okay. purple. So she was like, her, "Well, that, I'm purple." <laughs> is her? Uh, I feel like maybe I had a brain block for a second. She is with the Amaz, so that means her child is a female Icarol. Uh, no, I thought it was a. I thought her son was a male. I thought, right. So yeah. how? I I, I think hap- I think there's exceptions for babies of maybe prophecy. <laughs> You know, see, oh, for maybe prophecy, because then you can, oh, because then Andras, he, what his mom was Amaz, he was not. And then his mom like left the Amaz so she could keep him because otherwise they were like, you have to give up your kid. Right. So, yeah, I I think just for, so maybe it's like, it's like prophecy baby. Yeah. Because even when the other, yeah. Because then when Andres had a kid with one of the Amaz women, she gave her son to the Lupine. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, now that you've just kind of like gone through that, you bring you remind me of a good point. Um, Ellerin's professor, when she's still like doing school stuff, you know. Jules. Uh, Jules, Christ- yeah. Jules, yeah. Jules Christian gives her a bunch of comparative religion, like a co- comparative religion, like books. He's like, you know, get confused, like read, read all of these re- religions because it it's mentioned that like every religion has its own version of this prophecy. Right. And they're all. This isn't this book because the first book was just like learn the history of yeah. the Gardenerians from different POVs. Yeah. And this okay. one is learn the religion of, okay. of everybody and get really confused and kind of see that we all have the same the same prophecy. It's just a little bit different. Is this kind of like, did that trigger your uh, world studies, your religious studies minor? You're like, huh? Yeah. I mean, comparative religion basically is my religious studies minor. Um, 
Yeah, because I did comparative religion and women and gender studies. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> I know it brought me back to like these papers I used to write. But um, yeah, no, I, I really like that. And I like that she does it. And um, what I was getting at is I like how people speak to Ellerin when it comes to like a worldview. You were talking about how people have to be like take a step back and be practical, right? I, I like this is not surprising. I like Lucas. <laughs> I like how Lucas. Well, first of all, I like that they cannot lie to each other. Yeah. I mean, of do course- we find out more? I mean, I know right now that's like, I just feel everything's like, I feel a fire. I feel a pull, blah, blah, blah. Is that explored more in the third book? Is it explored more in the third book? Um, A little bit. Oh. But, um, but yeah, a, a little bit. Okay. Um, but it's it's more. It's, it's not more- a major plot point. So no, I guess. No, okay. it's, it's, it's not. It's just something unique between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I really enjoy it. Like, obviously, we're all about communication here. And it forces them to either, like, communicate a thousand percent or not communicate at all. Well, he says that at one point, like, they weren't talking. And she asked him a question and he didn't answer. And he all, his only answer was, you have no idea how much I wish I could lie to you right now. Like, so he's like, I, I can't, I cannot lie. So I just have to keep my mouth shut and i like this trope because it's not like folk of the air where like Faye can't lie this is only between ellerin and lucas like these two people cannot lie to each other and then at the end we find out like they're they're wand fasted uh vivian aunt vivian basically murders her brother right like oh her, not ellerin's brother her vivian's own. brother yeah Viv- like, yeah okay yeah. Edwin, right? Like she, she basically murders him, which we knew since the first book. Right. The second she was like, "He's under my care," I was like, yeah, "Fucking bullshit!" Care. Yeah, yeah, no, that that yeah, absolute bullshit. But like, died in Ellerin's arms, horrible. And then, and then we find out because of the the time that she planned to do this, it's the loophole. So like, uh, Edwin, Edwin isn't the head of the family anymore. Vivian is because Rafe doesn't turn 20 for three days. She yeah. timed it. So she had control over Ellerin for three days. And in that 10 minute, she fasted her to she as in Vivian fasted Ellerin to Lucas without her consent. Yeah. Let's talk about that fasting, too. Okay, so obviously we're not a fan of it because there is no consent there. But there is, as you said, an inkling that Lucas, there's something with Lucas, right? Because he's like, she has my permission to go and do whatever she wants, right? Like, did you expect that from from Lucas? Or were you expecting him to, like, take her? Like, I, No, I, I mean, did I expect? I didn't know what to expect from Lucas, honestly. I Thought he was going to be kind of baddish, but then in this book, maybe he, like he's the morally gray character in this book because I feel like there's thing, like inner workings because he even makes a comment to Ellerin saying how the only way that you can dismantle the government is from within. So this is something clearly he he's thinking about and wondering okay, I don't agree with any of this. And you're finding that out because of that bond and he can't lie to her. He goes, I didn't know. I didn't know. Like when I signed up for this, this wasn't where the direction it was going, you know? And he's clearly put thought into, you know, how is it going to Yes. (laughs) And from Ellerin's brothers being imprisoned, he made sure that they were released. I think he's trying to find ways at this point to let Ellerin know that he's on her side, whether she sees that or not right now. Even with the fasting, he's like, you should be lucky that your your aunt is still letting me fast to you because anybody else is going to beat you, is going to rape you, is going to do everything without your consent. He knows the connection that they have, but he also understands that they have, I don't want to say miscommunication, but there are barriers there um, that cause their restrictions. And even when Ellerin, her and Yvonne didn't even do anything. They were just found, you know, falling asleep in each other's arms kind of thing. And she makes a comment of like, I didn't sleep with him. Lucas makes a comment in front of Vivian saying, we'll see about that. 
again, just for show because nothing was ever consummated. Right. And and he I think he says that to kind of um was like, we'll we'll find out. Because the what do you think Vivian would have done to Ellerin if um she had slept with the Celt? Or, or like with <sighs> Yvonne. Like what what would she have done? I mean, would she have banished her again? Because she was already banished the brothers. She was all, she already went on her tirade about how her mother almost went, uh, almost married a Celt. And then her father, which is Vivian's brother, took pity on Ellerin's mother. And that's the only way, way that like, they happen. She just like disregarded that. She's like, oh, she would. I think she's like some professor now. And we know that. I mean, we knew that was mm-hmm. it was going to be Jules, which I, I really I think you said that there's a novella for them, right? Yeah, there's there's two. So there's two two novellas that have been combined into one book, and it's called Rebel Mages. And one book is about Tesla and Ellerin's mom and her story, and the other one is all about Sage and okay. House and Sage growing up with the white wand and how she got it to Ellerin. Okay. Like up to that point kind of thing, that transition of the one. Okay. Um, I, I I wonder if she would have banished her. I really, uh, Vivian would have banished or it's one of, she's one of those people that I don't even know. I feel like in her mind, she would think banishment was too easy. So she would have tortured her somehow, however that might be, because we already know there's nothing that she thinks is wrong. She yeah. thinks other races are wrong. She doesn't believe killing races. She truly believes in genocide. If you're an art gardenarian, she believes in genocide and you find that out. So I just, I, I mean, I could even see her trying to fast her to Damien Bain, mm-hmm. knowing, knowing the vi- yeah. vile person that he is. And it would be torture because then she's in with Fallon Bain, knowing, like currently, I'm thinking that she's the Black Witch. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, God. So obviously, Aunt Vivian is the worst person. I mean, obviously, not the worst person in this book. Vogel, Vogel, <laughs> yeah, and then Vivian. Yeah. But I would say if. And Vivian has one redeeming quality. Just one. Reminds me because I don't know. Aunt Vivian will do anything for fashion. Aunt Vivian gives no fucks about the rules of Gardnerian well. fashion. <laughs> you know, tits out, jewels on, color, embroidery. Oh, Jess, I know you want to talk about that dress. Which one? There's the first, the, the iron flower dress, which was just gorgeous and super low cut. And you know, I have boobs. So like, that's totally up my alley. And then she, she makes the comment, you know, she's like, uh, she, Ellerin's wearing this dress. She has a cloak on, she's being all demure. And then she like whips the cloak off when Lo- Lucas comes and he's just drooling, just absolutely. And, you know, Ellerin's feeling herself because, you know, yeah, you can hate somebody, but like if you can still feel good about how you look. And then later on, she, you know, her aunt basically imprisons her in her room with all the guards surrounding her, understanding that Lucas is coming back for not the Yule ball, but for something else. And Ellerin sees the dress and she goes, my aunt has eyes everywhere because she totally knows that Lucas went crazy over this first dress. And if I thought the first dress was inappropriate, this second dress, and you know, in our head also, like in my head, it's just, everything's like super like neck, like plunging neckline. But for all we know, it could just be like showing a little bit collarbone because they're used to dressing as like, and you know, they say how conservative their dressing is. High neck, long sleeves, you know, down to the ankles, you know, skirts yeah. not Things form-fitting. Things are covered. Black. Everything's covered. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. And um, this is a good segue into the split. I mean, the politics are huge in this book, but the split that's happening within, like, the Gardnerian, um, like, political situation. So, like, they're they're breaking. There's a section that's breaking off, and they're, like, the ultra-conservatives. Right. So like they, they're called something and they're ultra conservatives and they wear the white bird emblem. And then no, and, and they o- and they only um, buy from 
stores that only have workers that have the white bird emblem because they they are like the conservative sect of of the mages and then the the less conservative sect wears the silver earthia orb and then they I talk about this yeah they talk about that when they talk about the flag change where in so like when I they, do remember they, yeah. they were, she was going up a hill and they were like, here's the Gardenarian flag. And then there were, I do remember the switch. And then there was another like the Vin something flag was also on the field because they were trying to find allies. Meanwhile, Ellerin gets the Vutrin essentially is like, well, don't break your ally with the Gardenarians. We're going to help you at least escape with the resistance. And she was like, here's my stipulation. She's like, and we'll give you the poison. We'll poison everybody and you and like whoever you need to get out of here. And they were like, well, what are your stipulations? And Ellen was like, all these people. Yeah, everybody. She had a list. She had a yeah. huge list when they read it out in the kitchens. Yeah. And I loved the point, like the, the poisoning of it all, because it rem- I loved the quote, if one can't be powerful, it plays it pays to be clever and it just forces you to think of, you have to think outside the box and it's, you know, I know a lot of times it can be frustrating, especially in university when you have to take like your gen ed courses and you're like, I don't need this. This isn't what I want to do. But when you find like a certain niche thing that you might enjoy that somebody else doesn't, it kind of, or even just like a skill set that's particular to you it helps you kind of elevate, like, what can you bring to the table? Like in regards to diversity, I know a lot of times when we talk about diversity, people automatically assume races, but like, it's also like diverse in the content that you bring um, and the skill sets you bring to uh, like, even like, you know, professional environment too. And I thought that was really cool. She's like, oh, um, just like um, Jules was like, my my cleverness was calligraphy. So he's been forging all these birth certificates and then hers is going to be apothecary, um, which is like helping her, which is not, not just like poisoning everybody, but how many times has she like made little concoctions to help or salves to help in the kitchen to help other people that they could not have afforded otherwise? Like, and she's not doing it for any other reason, except for like, she wants to do it altruistically. Like she's thinking, you know, she gains nothing from this. Oh, Ellerin. <laughs> to see her growth is very... It's fast moving and it's very nice. Like I know we see a lot of growth in these in these protagonists in the YA books, but you're cheer- like now I'm at a point you're cheering her on because you know you're not you also know you're not just cheering her on. You're cheering everybody on, but garden area. <laughs> yeah, you're you're cheering on the resistance, and like you always want to cheer for the resistance. Ellerin is powerful. We end this book with her like needing training right she says like i need training so like you can kind of see where it sets it up as an air of fire kind of training situation in the next book and you know that that's just fantastic um i just want to point out something that jared says in the very beginning of this book in in when they're at the ball and ellerin is saying like okay but before this before this the gardenarians take over i don't know if we've made this very clear the (laughs) gardenarians take over everything but uh in the beginning of this book when they still haven't made the grasp for power yet the edicts are still kind of coming in and the gardenarians take over the the like ruling kind of like city council or whatever for the university so the uh, the decor and the holidays and stuff are slowly being skewed towards Gardnerians. So when it comes time for the Yule Ball, the Yule Ball is only for Gardnerians and the decorations are Gardnerian centric. And Jared goes because we love Jared and he, he just like wants to see it. And he goes and he's like, you know, it's beautiful. You have all of these trees everywhere. He's like, you know, you 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 love these trees. You worship these trees. You had to kill all of these trees to to make these decorations. This is it's like a huge swath of forest that you just cut down for like no reason because it because it's pretty. And I think Ellerin says something like, well, in our in our holy book, it says that we need to cut down the forest because that's where the evil ones live. And we, you know, stamp out the evil ones by cutting away their homes. And then we use the wood for our homes. 
and for wands. And it's just like, that's fucked up shit, man. <laughs> so Jess, obviously you're excited to read the next book. What What are your wrap ups on this? I can't wait for the third book. I think I was telling you before we started recording every time, or maybe I said it in this episode, every time you think this is what, you know, like the book's just getting started it ends. And now I'm like, okay, now it's getting started. Now it's getting started. I said it before. I'll say it again. This is so much better than Shadow and Bone, the trilogy. I I love it. I'm immersed in it. I want to know more. I'm also kind of worried that the second book was so good that the third one might kind of like fall flat. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm excited for people who I hope decide to read this not like for us but i do hope it gets some traction like i think there's going to be a lull on book talk for some time like we're in summer like a lot of the bigger books that we've been kind of reading they've had their follow-ups they've had their netflixes out we're kind of like in that lull so people are going to probably start like looking for more whether it's in the fantasy genre or not. And I think this is just a perfect segue to kind of get your, to, to, to be excited and stay excited about things. I mean, there's no rush. There's also no fan art. Yeah. There's no fan art here. And I know uh, last episode, I, I sent you just like the only thing that I could find. And it's just like a bunch of Gardnerians who are like kind of all like the same. And then you know, kind of the supporting characters, but now we have a lot more supporting characters. And um, as I said earlier, I went through kind of the hashtags on social. There's not much. Jess, I think I sent you a couple couple sketches of like um, Diana and Jared and like maybe one of Freya and Velasca, but there, there's nothing. And it's such a rich world that artists could really um, kind of make these characters their own. And it's just like an untapped kind of goldmine, I feel like. And I think that you bring up a good point because I think of artists like Dominique Wesson. And when you, when there's not a lot of art out there, um, you have artists who can create things and that soon becomes canon, you know, and like you bring up a good point. There's so many different races. And I also, I just had a question in regards to fantasy. You know how there, you know, you can hear about the same you know, selkies and fae and witches and dryads and wyverns. Is there, are, are they across all platforms in fantasy visually, they look the same? Or is it like Holly Black has an idea of wyverns in one way and Lori Forest has dragons and wyverns in another? Or is it pretty kind of like these are your staples and then how you create your universe is completely different? I think there's like a like a very basic template and then you can kind of like build your own kind of character, I feel like, you know, and that is absolutely no no discredit to anybody that does, you know, their own work. But, yeah, I I think just from I'm just thinking back at like the things that I've read. Yeah. Yeah. Like like visually. And then and then they're like uh, their characteristics. You know, can they lie? Do they growl? Is there roaring? Are there fangs? You know, those are all different because in this in this series we have, uh, you know, the fae. There's lots of different kinds of fae, and they all have different characteristics and they all have different powers and stuff. Well, like just like t- yeah, because it's like you have it's almost like I want to say elemental fae, not just like you know how we have the elementals in from Blood and Ash, but I feel like you have the fire fae, the water fae, the earth fae, you know, and like tyranny, tyranny is a perfect example of she had this glamour and then you find out she's this beautiful, like shimmering every single various shade of blue and she just starts crying and everybody else is crying. Like they're happy for her. They're happy. Like they're like, she's been hidden under this glamour for all this time like in that she was like i look like my mom like i thought that was such a sweet moment um and even like thinking of marina in my head she was like a glittery mystique from x-men with gills i just to what you said it's so rich that you can visualize, but we are not artists. We do not have that talent, no talent. to put these thoughts to paper. Like we do not have that. No. And, and it could be done. I mean, so beautiful. There, there's descriptions of like rose colored skin and, and just, you know, tinted paint. Oh, it's just, it could be so lovely. 
as you said, I hope this encourages people to kind of give the series a look. And after the gut punch of the world building in the first book, you can kind of step off of there and and fight with the characters against that and and root for their resistance and see the the beauty that's kind of in there. I think the you know and I and I think the gut punch is necessary. I think it's a it's a needed wake up call for a lot of people who are reading this. You're like, oh shit, you know, start doing that internal work and be reflective in your if you're if you're kind of like taking a step back and you're like this this is real world shit, then there's a reason, you know, and it should and it should be processed that way. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's dragons in this. And of course, shout out Literary Libra. We know you love dragons. All righty. So next week, you have our rundown. We'll go from there. And you can follow us on Instagram at Acafe Podcast. You could also follow us on TikTok, Acafe Laura and Acafe Jessica. We are pretty active on basically everything right now. So um, thanks for listening. Thanks for your time. This is still a lot of fun. Thanks for sticking around for so long, everybody. Make sure uh, to hit us up. We we want to talk about it. So thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.